The Truth News Network. From sea to shining sea, across the fruited plain, the land of the free and the home of the brave is denied permission to talk about, hear about, read about real news. Denied by three corporations with ties to our political enemies. Where do you get your doses of the truth? TNN, the Truth News Network. And your anchor is Dan Newman. So you're going to get your truth dosage today. April 1st, April Fool's Day. First of all, let me say good morning. Secondly, let me tell you, no April Fool's jokes at TNN Live today. Too many serious things going on. Now, wait a minute, Dan. You got you to gotta, you gotta laugh sometimes. Yeah, I just don't think the circumstances we find ourselves in today are laughing matters. No, we don't need to be running around in circles screaming at the sky OMG, OMG, the sky is falling. We got to live somewhere in between. And if you pick halfway between craziness, absurd despondency all the time, and the people that just don't even care about what's going on around, I'm going to laugh and have a good time regardless. Somewhere in the middle, you got to find a place to live. And what I try to do is stay halfway between the exact middle and the all positive. That's not a bad place to live, folks. We can deal with our stuff. We can deal with our junk without carrying around all the weight, the weight of things that we have no say-so in. Now, it's different when you talk about circumstances in your life that you are in control of, where you can make a difference. And then the other piece of it is, for those things that are in your life, they're bad, They may not be bad, but they're not good, but you want them better. You have an advocate. Your advocate's name is Jesus. I'm serious, folks. Get on your knees and pray and ask, believing that your prayers are going to be fulfilled. And we could sit here all day and talk about the Bible and the promises there for things like this. We're not going to do that. But just know this, the underlying thing, the cause that we all need to have, is the fact that God is in control, and as long as he's in control, you don't have to worry about the ship that you're on having a wreck. You get what I mean? Have a great day today and have a good weekend. Try to put all this negative stuff behind you just for a couple of days. Just think about this. I'm looking right now. We have people from Ukraine that are listening to this show this morning. Think about their world. Think about what they're dealing with every day. They're not worried about, oh my gosh, they ran out of my my style of cheesecake at Brookshire's. It's not there and I want one for the weekend. Put that in the context of what they're thinking about. We don't know where we're going to sleep tonight. We don't even know if we're going to be alive tonight. And oh, by the way, my husband's on the front lines. I don't even know if he's still alive. And when this is over, where are we going to live? Those are things we in the Americas and other parts of the free world, we take for granted. They're not taking that for granted today. Neither should we. We should not be taking any of that for granted. We're fortunate. We're blessed. And we need to be thankful on April 1st, April Fool's Day. So there you go. 
I didn't open my Bible and take a text, so it's not a sermon. (laughs) It's just sharing some truths and some information that will make you feel better. For those of you in Ukraine that are listening in today, let me just say this. Our prayers are with you 24-7. We in the United States are behind you 100%. We want the invaders to be pushed back. We want Russia out of the sovereign nation of Ukraine, and we want all of the Christendom in Ukraine to flourish. Ukraine is one of the most Christian-filled nations in Europe, and we think that may be part of the reason for this invasion. You push back. Your nation pushes back against evil, and we're thankful for that. We have your backs here in the United States. So what's the latest from over there? We always like to give you the early morning stories of the day and exactly what's going on. Let's take a listen. Get a current update. Ukraine is bracing for new attacks from Russia, with leader Volodymyr Zelensky warning late Thursday of battles ahead. He said the situation in the south and southwestern Donbass region remained extremely difficult and also said again that Russia was building up forces near the besieged port city of Mariupol. Also in the Donbass, in Mariupol, in the Kharkiv direction, the Russian troops are accumulating the potential for strikes, powerful strikes. We will defend ourselves. We will do everything we can to stop the occupiers and cleanse our land of their evil and senseless chimeras. And in a rare sign of internal dissent, Zelensky also announced he was firing two generals on the grounds they were traitors. Those high-ranking servicemen who have been prevented from deciding where their homeland is, who break the military oath of allegiance to the Ukrainian people for the protection of our state, its freedom and independence, will inevitably be deprived of high military ranks. Earlier on Thursday, a Russian missile strike in the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv hit gas pipes, cutting off supplies to tens of thousands of people there. Kharkiv, the country's second largest city, has suffered some of the heaviest shelling since Russia invaded Ukraine more than a month ago. Zelensky, however, said his forces had pushed back the Russian military from the capital Kiev and the nearby city of Chernihiv. At talks this week, Moscow said it would reduce offensives in both cities as a goodwill gesture and focus on what it called liberating Donbass. After weeks of constant shelling, the city of Mariupol has no running water, gas or electricity, another obstacle for those who remain as they fight to survive. A spokesperson for Mariupol's mayor said on Monday nearly 5,000 people had already been killed. Ukrainian authorities were hoping to evacuate more residents from Mariupol after Russia agreed to open a humanitarian corridor on Friday. But several previous deals have collapsed. Russia says it is carrying out a special operation to disarm and denazify its neighbor. But it denies Kiev's accusations that they are targeting civilians. Western countries say Putin's real aim was to topple Ukraine's government. Peace negotiations are set to resume by video conference on Friday. And so when these peace seekers get back together today, and I'm sure they already are as we're speaking, we need to be mindful of that, pray for them, pray for wisdom, pray for negotiations to lead to peace over there. If Jesus was walking the land today, and if he could come on Truth News Network, TNN Live, and I asked this question, what would be the best outcome? What would you do 
if you were in Ukraine today. You know what I think he would say? Peace. Peace on earth and goodwill for all men. What does that mean? What is he saying? How does that apply to 21st century USA and Europe? It means this. He would prefer that we all reconcile with each other through peaceful means rather than go to war. Anytime you go to war, there's an expected winner and a loser. That's not a good situation where somebody is defeated and torn apart. Every every type of societal group in that nation is just obliterated and destroyed. Think about it. Families, homes, businesses, churches, schools, hospitals, all leveled and nothing but rubble now. And somebody wins in that scenario? I don't think so. Nobody wins. We have fighters on both sides. We have Ukrainians that are wounded, killed, horrible situations for their families, homes destroyed, everything in their life ripped away from them by the actions of Vladimir Putin in Russia. But then look at the Russian side of this thing. Almost every day, we hear stories and see videos about Russian soldiers when they get to Ukraine and they find out that what they were told they were going there to fight for, which is to rid Ukraine of Nazis, they're not finding any Nazis. And so they're bombing and shooting and killing men, women, and children, destroying hospitals just because the people are Ukrainian and you're Russian? And they're pointing their fingers at Moscow and saying, we don't agree with you, Mr. President. And so many of those soldiers are actually switching over to fight for Ukraine. Some of them are running away. They're deserting. Still others are shooting holes in gas tanks on tanks and other types of movable weaponry just so they won't be able to use them and be asked to go kill Ukrainians with them. It's not a good scene. It's not fair. When my kids were growing up, that was their go-to excuse. When they were confronted with doing things that were wrong, you just can't do that, Kimby. You just can't do that, Corey. You just can't do that, Caleb. Why, Dad? Because it's not right. You can't do it. And then came, that's not fair. Life isn't necessarily fair all the time. You get out of it what you put in. And typically, folks, what you put into life, you don't get it back immediately. It takes some time for it to develop and grow, kind of like planting a seed. In fact, exactly like planting a seed. Every decision we make, every choice we make, every action we initiate, and every part of our lives those seeds that we're sowing will come back and they'll come back in the form of exactly what we planted. Think about that this weekend. You plant a lot of seeds, so do I. We all do. You go to the grocery store, you get upset with the checkout person or you get upset at Kroger when the automatic checkout, those computers, 
They keep calling the attendant to come over because there's something wrong when there's nothing wrong. And it's supposed to be quicker to check out there. And you're there 30 minutes while the attendant's trying to figure out what's wrong with the machinery. And you just get so hacked off. This ruined my day. I can't believe they do this. Why don't they just do this? Or why don't they just have this? Meanwhile, a little boy, a little girl in Ukraine, they lost their daddy in war. He was a soldier fighting against the Russians. He got shot and killed. And yesterday, mom was in a grocery store that got bombed, and she's gone. Talk about problems. Those, my friends, are problems. Well, what do we have in store for you here today? I don't want to start like this is a downer day, because it's not. There is an end to this thing that's happening over there. We're praying for it to hurry up, and we're praying for it to be a peaceful withdrawal and an agreement between the leadership in Ukraine and Russia to resolve their differences, whatever they are. We're going to stand behind them. No country on earth has the unfettered, realistic right to invade with no type of reasons. One country didn't do anything to this other country, and this other country decides we're going to invade. Nobody has that right. Let's just pray for the outcome to be good. We briefly touched yesterday on some testimony of U.S. General Todd Walters in a hearing in, I think it was the House of Representatives, I'm not sure, either that or over in the Senate. He admitted that Biden's strategy to deter Russia from invading Ukraine failed, failed miserably. And he didn't want to say it, but he was pressed by the questioners kept going on. Do you think it's failed? Do you think it's failed? Is it working? Walter said it's not. You as a combatant commander felt that you were part of an interagency effort intended to deter Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine. He was asked. That's correct. Deter and dissuade. Would it be fair to say that deterrence failed in Ukraine? General answered, number one, I would say that NATO's solidarity remained. And then the questioner cut him off, pressing for a direct answer to the question, did it fail? General Walters finished by saying, I can't argue with your conclusion. Let's get something straight, the president told the reporter who pressed him on the issue. You remember if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that in fact the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. Well, Kamala Harris, in a public statement, she said our purpose was to deter. The sanctions that we put on was to deter Vladimir Putin. Secretary of State Antony Blinken also stated in an interview, That, quote, the purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to deter Russia from going to war. Jen Psaki, she couldn't just make a one-sentence response. Here's what Jen said. Sanctions can be a powerful tool. They have been in a lot of moments throughout history. And what we view them as or how we're viewing them as, we're starting high. Just conveyed here just moments ago in terms of 
the significance and the severity of the sanctions that we were announcing today, yes, our intention is to have a deterrent effect. But the president says they were never meant to deter. He previously, when asked, said he wanted to sanction Vladimir Putin, but he wasn't going to do it until after it started. There's no way to deter this thing to happen. You get all these mixed messages from this president. We never know where he stands. And almost every public statement he makes in which he takes questions and he gives answers, the White House, his staff have to come out and clarify what the president actually meant when he answered that question this way. Even if he doesn't answer questions from the media, things he says off the cuff in his speeches, his staff has to come out and clarify things. Clarify things. It looks like some of the mainstream media are actually coming over, maybe waking up and realizing, I don't know about President Biden. The host of Russia 60 Minute went off script yesterday and called for the people of the U.S. to change the regime and reinstate former President Trump, calling him a partner of Russia. That's amazing when the opposition, the people on the other side, their media come in here and say, Biden's not getting it done. Y'all need to get Trump in here. And then once again, Sonny Hostin of The View, it seems like every day for the past few days, we're quoting her. She's on The View, ABC's The View, and she is a legal analyst, is Sonny. She said that Joe Biden should govern through executive order because he can't build consensus with insurrectionist and crazy people. They all piled on at that particular time. It all boils down to this, folks. The mainstream media, they're gone. They're lost. They're in the tank. They have no concept, nor do they care to find and adopt a a consensus of this is supposed to be government of and by and for the people, not for a despot or someone who is a puppet to stand up and have the power to unilaterally make policies, institute policies, and let whatever he doesn't want to happen, just leave it out there, let it happen. Lawlessness goes up, prices through the roof, inflation hadn't been seen since the early 70s like this. All those things are happening. Ukraine is at war. We're spending billions of dollars supporting them, giving them money supposedly to buy military weaponry, And the stuff we gave them three weeks ago, they haven't gotten any of the money. They haven't gotten any of the weaponry. It's not working. This guy in power is not working. And ABC's Hostin says, hey, he needs to quit trying to work with the Republicans and just start signing some more executive orders and do everything through executive fiat instead of through the people's entities the United States Congress. You know what you call that, don't you? Authoritarian. Now, wait a minute. They told us for four years. That's what Donald Trump was. He didn't listen to the People's House or the People's Senate. He did everything he did on his own. 
They never would point to particular things, specifics to justify the allegations they made. You know why? Because he didn't do that. In my lifetime, when I became cognizant of who's in the White House and how government is working, I don't remember another president that used executive orders less than Donald Trump. He relied on the process. He relied, even though Nancy Pelosi was there for part of his four years as Speaker of the House, he relied on Congress and the leadership there to work through and get things done. When they did not do that, he didn't. He never backed down. He would point out what they were doing, the things that they were doing that were not for the best of the American people and were not for what the American people wanted. He liked me and you. He didn't understand why Congress wouldn't do what the people that sent them there wanted them to do. It's amazing to watch all of this stuff play out. News this morning, economic news, good, not as good as we wanted. 431,000 new jobs started last month. Now, wait a minute. New jobs, new jobs. They never tell us from the Labor Department, and they wouldn't because they don't want us to know the facts of those 431,000 quote-unquote new jobs. And they didn't call them new jobs. They just said jobs. The White House is calling those 431,000 new jobs. New jobs to me would be there was no job doing that, and they created the process that it made necessary getting these people to go to work. New jobs is bringing in new jobs people into jobs that weren't there before. How many of those 41,000, 431,000 were literally new jobs? How many of those were people that were laid off during the pandemic just coming back to work? That's a question I'd like to get an answer to. Maybe if somebody's out there has got a chance to do a little research, I, I couldn't find it real, real quickly before we went on the air. Give us a call and let us know toll-free 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884. So what's the answer for the high gas prices? We, We touch on this every day. Joe Biden's out there and he blames it. He was asked point blank. One of the reasons, twofold, he said. First, it was the pandemic. The pandemic made gas prices go up. You tell me how. He hadn't explained his reasoning for that. The pandemic made gas prices go up. Folks, if it was anything where the pandemic had anything to do with the uh, price of gas or anything else, it would have gone down. Why is that? Because nobody was moving around. Well, what does that mean? Well, price of gas at the pump went way down. You know why? Because Nobody was moving around and you lowered the prices on your products to entice people to buy them. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. It has nothing to do with Vladimir Putin. Yes, on the tail end of it, the crisis in Ukraine has something to do with the rise from about $3 a gallon to $7.19 in some places. Putin had something to do with that, but the big, big, big problem source is the guy sitting in the Oval Office today. We went through it ad nauseum yesterday. The left, they seem to have a communication problem. 
House Democrats announced that they're going to be summoning to Capitol Hill leaders of major oil companies. We got to find out what these evil oil companies are doing. They're gouging the American people. Chief executives of Chevron, Devon, ExxonMobil, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Shell USA and BP America are going to be witnesses. They're going to rake them over the coal. That's exactly what they're going to do. So unfortunately for all these people that are pushing this idea that the oil companies are intentionally starving us of oil, a massive coalition of climate change alarmist groups released their report titled Banking on Climate Chaos, Fossil Fuel Finance Report 2022. So what's in the report? Well, it actually contains the news that the four largest U.S. banks shrank their financing. Financing for fossil fuels by nearly 15%. This is not treated as a sign of progress, but as a sign of banks who are dragging their heels and getting out of the fossil fuel business. So what does that mean? Do you understand how expensive it is to drill a well, complete the well, get it, the products coming out of that well, to a pipeline so it can be transmitted and transferred? Do you realize now Joe Biden did not just cancel the XL pipeline permit when he took office. He's gotten in the way of stopping other pipelines from being repaired. Some have come offline and they have quietly kept them from coming back online. What does that all interpret into? Higher prices because it's costing more. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, they're making bazillions of dollars or these oil companies. We need to strip them of that. They're being evil. No, they're not. We went into an exhaustive investigation and we told you exactly the reasons for what's going on. In fact, we're going to do this. We're going to go to our first break. When we come back, we're going to detail it. I mean, give you answers for all your questions about what you're paying at the pump when you go to fill up with gas. And I don't know about you, but I'm having to fill my car up far too often. (laughs) Maybe somebody's siphoning gas out of my tank. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes, for insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf, and that is its incredibly protective mother. Down. 
guys good? Thank yeah, you. we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, let's get into the gasoline situation here. Are we out of gas? What do you think about the million barrels a day that the president announced he's going to, and he's already started apparently, opening the spigot to release from our emergency supplies? A million gallons a day. And I think it was for like three months. That was his promise. What do you think about all that? What do you think about what we're being told? Well, he addressed the media regarding his glorious fix-all for our Bidenflation gas prices, which happens to be nothing more than political grandstanding. What's his grand plan to turn the spigot and gas price down? Tap into the U.S. emergency oil reserves. Let me think back when that happened last. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was at the end of the Obama-Biden administration. And our emergency oil reserves were depleted. So guess who filled them up? And he got blasted for doing it when he did. President Donald Trump, he bought millions of gallons of gas and put it in our emergency oil reserves when it was dirt cheap. Nobody says anything about that. I don't think as bad as it is right now, it's not classified as an emergency, not yet. But wait, maybe it is an emergency. One fueled by the ignorance of the commander-in-chief regarding the fossil fuel industry. Our problem, according to Joe, is a combination of U.S. oil companies hoarding oil. Why would they do that? To purposely raise prices so they can get filthy rich. Add that to Putin's invasion of Ukraine, which definitely added to the problem. But the problem is not due to the actions of the oil companies. In small part, Putin is involved. But the major issue is the stupidity of this administration at not understanding the governing process. No decision that comes out of this White House or any White House happens in a vacuum. It just doesn't. When Biden on day one pulled the plug on the XL pipeline, and announced he'd canceled drilling on federal lands. Those two combined, those began the slide in the fossil fuel industry to the place where we are today. Rather than my personal pontification on the subject, which I always enjoy doing, let's look at one place, a key place on the planet and in our country where a lot of this is hammering hard right now Actually, the minute that Joe Biden said he did and then did what he said he was going to do with the XL pipeline and the federal permit leases, 
West Texas. Have you heard of the Permian Basin? Well, the Permian Basin is a collection of the most oil-rich lands in the United States, Odessa, Midland, and that area of the state. In fact, the Permian uh, Basin produced the lion's share of oil that the United States produces in total. So let's look at what is executive action so far regarding fossil fuel did to that massive source of oil out there and will be required to fix this problem to get back to where we were during the Trump administration. So after Russia invaded Ukraine and the U.S. and major energy companies boycotted Russian oil and gas, some people in Congress quickly called for cranking up American energy production to fill the void. We all wanted to do that. And we literally thought we could walk over and just open a spigot and bam, we got oil again. A Republican member of Congress attended Biden's State of the Union address wearing a shirt emblazoned with drill, baby, drill. (laughs) U.S. Representative Philemon Vila, a Democrat from Brownsville, tweeted, Save Ukraine, unleash American oil and gas. U.S. Rep. August Fluger, another Republican from Texas who represents the heart of Texas oil patch, has printed red, white, and blue baseball caps with an oil pump jack next to the words Midland over Moscow. The energy producers of West Texas in America, folks, they're ready to produce the energy that our nation and our allies need. But in Texas... Permian Basin, the nation's most productive oil region and the place that would have to lead any jump in our production. People in the industry there, like energy analysts, local leaders, they say there's no quick or easy way to make it happen. Cranking up production, which the White House definitely thinks that you can just walk over to the pipe on the wall and turn it on and bam, you got oil flowing again. No. Cranking up that production, here's what it requires. More workers, more materials, more money, more people in the industry say they're facing the same labor shortages and the same supply chain issues that have plagued countless businesses throughout the pandemic. On top of that, we told you just a moment ago, banks are drying up lending money to fossil fuel energy companies. Why is that? because the Biden administration actually pushed these bankers on Wall Street to stop funding fossil fuel exploration and drilling. That's part of the climate change activist policies that this president is pushing today, out talking about it today. It's hard to get pipe. It's hard to get sand. It's hard to get crews for drilling rigs and truck drivers. That comes from the CEO of Tall City Exploration. That's a company that drills oil wells in West Texas. Has two active rigs that drill 32 wells per year combined. He said we can't get stuff, supplies, equipment, and people can't get anybody to work on the rigs. It's unlike anything he's ever seen. He said fracking sand. Now, this is on a... a, uh, Hainesville shale and other types of uh, shale where there's a lot of oil out in 
the holes. I, I, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to dumb it down, and I even have to. I hate to use the word dumb, but make it simple to understand. When you do directional drilling, you initially go straight down, and then you do a 90 degree turn, and you drill out in one direction or another. You usually, in these kind of cases, when you find a bunch of that oil in the sand. What you do is you'll drill three or four wells instead of just one. You want to get that whole region covered. And what happens is you have to, they have to inject sand down in these holes that shoots out into the rock, which makes it easier for the petrol products, whether it's oil or natural gas, to come back to that pipeline. It's, it's a critical piece of the hydraulic fracturing process. It's been tough to find this sand due to, in part, no, no workers, even though much of the supply comes from Texas. Not only that, the price of steel has increased so much that supply shortages make it hard to get pipe for these drilling wells. He said his company has no plans to add more drilling rigs but he said it probably wouldn't be able to find the supplies to do so even if he was going to build more rigs. He said, I talked to a guy yesterday, a bigger company than us, trying to ramp up his operation to six rigs. And he said, I don't know if I can get all the things I need to do that, but I'm trying. John Volke, CEO of Crew Support Services, his company houses oil field workers in temporary quarters known as man camps. He says his company has filled every one of its 1,500 beds in the Permian Basin. Every one of our clients is trying to hire from 20 to 40 people. Field hands, labor for rigging pipe, he said. I don't know where these people went to work. Maybe Amazon? He said when the demand for oil and gas plummeted at the start of the pandemic, many oil field workers got out of the industry for good. We quit drilling for a year. A lot of people slowed down. All those people that were working in the field, a bunch of them just said, enough's enough, I'm out of here. A guy named Juan Cano left the industry in 2019. He says he's not returning. He's a 57-year-old worker, worked many jobs over the years, driving trucks, laying asphalt, now fixing vehicles at a Midland, Texas auto shop. Like many living in the Permian Basin, he's been lured into oil-filled jobs during previous booms. But even with all related businesses desperate for workers and the price of oil over $100 a barrel following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Cano said the appeal of more money isn't strong enough this time. I don't want to go back into that up and down swing. It's not stable, especially now with everything going on in the world. The Biden administration announced a boycott of Russian oil on March the 8th. But only about 7% of U.S. oil imports come from Russia. Many other countries like Britain and Canada, plus some major energy companies like ExxonMobil and Shell, have also stopped buying Russian oil. The International Energy Agency estimates that by the 3rd of April, day after tomorrow, 3 million barrels per day of Russian oil production could be off the global market as sanctions take hold and buyers shun exports. But nearly every European country that relies heavily on Russian oil, they have not followed our lead. Everybody thinks we sanctioned Russia 
Everybody over there is going to come along, right? Many of them aren't doing it. Biden hasn't pushed these other countries on the issue for fear that a boycott could hurt the world economy more than it hurts Russia. The world consumes, if you've ever wondered, the whole world uses about 100 million barrels of oil a day. Russia produces 11.2 million barrels per day, making it the third largest producer behind the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. This entity, the IEA, which was formed after the 73 oil crisis to make sure we have a steady worldwide energy market, said the repercussions of Russia's invasion are going to grow over the next several months as summer driving season begins. The world may well be facing its biggest oil supply shock in decades with huge implications for our economies and societies. That comes from the IEA executive director. In the U.S., no place drills for oil as much as in the Permian Basin. As of March 11th, the region had 316 oil rigs in the ground. 316, folks. Think about that. The number continually flashes on a large screen in downtown Midland, Texas, along with the current temperature. It's that important to Texas. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, the rest of the U.S. had 212 rigs. Now think about it. The Permian Basin, West Texas, had 316 oil rigs. The rest of the U.S. all in, 212. And incidentally, each rig can have dozens of individual wells. The Permian Basin produces more than 5 million of the nation's daily output of 11.6 million barrels of oil a day. Do you get that? Do you understand that? In West Texas, in this one place, half of the oil produced in the United States every day comes out of that ground in West Texas. Locals there say the war in Ukraine that pushed the oil price up 58% from the start of the year will boost profits for the oil and gas already being produced in the Permian Basin. When the world supply is interrupted, which it is, it makes our product that much more important. That's Bobby Burns president of the Midland Chamber of Commerce and the city's former mayor. We're of mixed minds here about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. We know it's strengthening our bottom line, but it's bad for the world. Before Russia did their invasion thing, the Permian Basin's oil production surpassed pre-pandemic levels as the global economy recovered. Our Energy Information Administration forecast that production in that region, the Permian region, will average 5.3 million barrels per day this year and will reach 5.7 million barrels per day in 2023, which would be a record high. But it's still not enough. It's still not enough. An extra million barrels a day, which is what Joe Biden is putting in there from our emergency reserves is not going to make up the slack. If we want to really boost production in the Permian, companies have got to get major financial backing that is not there now because of Joe Biden. Actually, it's not. It's because of his Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen. She put the heat on Wall Street bankers 
and basically told them all, stop lending money to fossil fuel companies. That's where most of the finances come from, from Wall Street, which has dictated tremendously what goes on in the oil industry out here. That's Stephen Robertson, executive vice president of the Permian Basin Petroleum Association. And he said that drillers decide how much oil to produce one way or another based on a signal they're getting from Wall Street. So before the pandemic, New York City on the southern end of Wall Street already saw oil and gas as a riskier investment. Why? Because of environmental concerns. What environmental concerns? Well, the climate change activists. They began to put the heat on the banks. For example, you've heard of the Rockefeller family. Remember them? They became wealthy and famous starting back in the 1800s when they founded the Standard Oil Empire. Successors of that company include Chevron and ExxonMobil. Rockefeller family sold all of its fossil fuel investments in 2015. Why? Because of climate change activism. They got out. Other investors have cooled on the energy sector for just bottom line reasons. More than half of 132 oil and gas executives that are surveyed by the Dallas Federal Reserve, they said this week pressure by investors to provide a better return on investments is the main reason energy companies are restraining growth despite high oil prices. Beach said energy company shareholders are wondering where, why the companies produce so much oil and gas from 2017 to 2019. It was so dirt cheap, and at the end of the day, they didn't really make much money out of it. Well, why? The price of everything, it doesn't matter what it is, is driven by its availability and how much people want that. The more people want it, the more you got to get and make available and costs go up, supply and demand. I don't remember anybody back when things were really good for the American people with gas so cheap at the pump You remember oil companies lost millions of dollars. They were doing what they had to do to make what they could, but they still lost millions of dollars. Nobody, Joe Biden never stood up when he was campaigning and said, we need to help these people out. So they lost millions in the pandemic. And it's not good for them to make money now. We got... Janet Yellen asking banks to defund fossil fuel projects. That's happening. Still, the world relies heavily on oil and gas. The ongoing labor shortages, supply chain problems, financial and political uncertainty, those are major headwinds that are needless, but our government created them for energy companies that are trying to meet the demand. All this rolled in together is making it more challenging for companies to decide whether they're going to start ramping up production again because they have no clue what Joe Biden is going to do. He's going to say something. He's going to get up there and preach. He's speaking to his far-left members of the Democrat Party that control the climate change fraud. There, I said it. 
I still can't fathom any justifiable explanation for pushing that so hard. And I go back to their bottom line, the thing that they're pushing for, all their plans. Think about what they're already doing. Think about the cost already that we see. They're not planning on this just being a, you know, three, four, five, even 10-year deal. They're looking at the end of this century. And you know what they will consider to make their whole task for all these years successful is at the end of the century, they'll be able to get up there in New York City when the ball dropping that takes us into the next century, they will be able to brag that they were successful in lowering the daily average temperature on the planet one degree. That will be a success for the climate change sycophants. In the meantime, folks, we got to find a way to deal with what's on our plate. (laughs) The Biden family has a lot on their plate. We're going to dig into that next at TNN Live. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. This is back from the 70s. Music made sense back then. (laughs) You remember this song by, it was The Temptations, I believe. Papa was a rolling stone. Oh, well, it was good back then. Radio DJs got to talk through the, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, baby, how you feeling? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's Friday, folks. It's April 1st. You're headed into the weekend. Laugh a little bit. We all need to laugh a little. We we can do that. Um, I got to be honest with you. It it, It would make you feel a little better. Things are what they are. 
They really are. One more thing about this energy thing before we uh, get into the Biden family syndicate. Instead of fact-checking this president, the same way that they direct their fact-checking, if you call it that, for his predecessor, Donald Trump, mainstream media outlets like the Associated Press, they keep cutting the current president breaks. They give him a break. In response to his false claim on Thursday, yesterday, that Americans are going to save $500 a month once America has fully transitioned away from that evil, wicked fossil fuel to clean energy. Associated Press, they rushed to publish a fact check accusing him of having misspoke. If your home is powered by safer, cheaper, cleaner electricity like solar or heat pumps, you can save about $500 a month on average, he said. That was in his little speech yesterday. It was false, as even the Associated Press gently admitted it. It was a misspoken claim. Here's what they said. President Joe Biden vastly overpromised Thursday when he told Americans they can expect savings of 500 bucks a month by transitioning to renewable energy. It's possible they might save that much over a year, not per month, the fact check reads. Over on Twitter, the AP went even softer on the president, writing that he misspoke. So critics, they were, oh my gee, at the Associated Press's word choice because of the evidence-backed belief that, were Trump still in office, of course, the AP would have used much stronger words to describe his lie. That's what they would have called it if it was Trump up there. You know, i got to be honest with you. I'm looking at a string of tweets where people came out blasting the Associated Press, probably 25 or 30. I still don't get, I still don't get the fact that this media thinks the American public are so stupid that we do not recognize what they do. Now, I know there's a segment of the society that are going to give them a pass just because it's Joe Biden. That segment of our society is in the tank far left. They'll believe anything that anybody says that's in power that has a D as the end of the title when their name is printed. If you're a Democrat, you get a free pass in mainstream media. There are so many inequities in this climate change and uh, renewable energy thing. James Posey, one of our listeners, a longtime friend, he even mentioned this, our power grid can't even handle the load it would take to charge the uh, e-cars if they did go all electric. I've talked about this in my subdivision here, which is a new subdivision, when they put in the power infrastructure, if every other house, not every house, but if every other house had an electric car to replace one of the fossil fuel cars they have now, this subdivision, the infrastructure, wouldn't accommodate the chargers. It takes a massive amount of electricity to charge up these e-cars. Going all electric, folks, it's not a panacea. But remember this, this administration doesn't believe in transition plans. If they did, 
They wouldn't have come out throwing bombs and grenades at the fossil fuel industry trying to destroy it without having a transition plan. They don't have a plan at all, yet alone a transition plan to get to the plan. You know what I'm saying? But that's just the way they roll. We got to save the world. Forget about money. It's tax dollars. Joe's going to, he's going to tax the billionaires now. They're going to pay for all this stuff. It never works that way. Never forget this. When you tax a big corporation that owns a business, that big corporation never pays that tax. Whatever the tax is, yeah, they'll write a check, but they're doing that just being a clearinghouse because what do they do? Whatever the tax check they wrote, they're going to pass it along by raising their prices, by cutting the goods and services that they have provided previously, and sadly, many times it requires payroll check reductions. These climate activists, including the one that sits in the White I wonder if he really is. I will bet you if we look back through his uh, almost 50 years of being in politics, being in office in Washington, D.C., I bet you if you look at his campaign contributions, he's got millions of dollars that have been donated to him from big oil companies through the years. But that's not that's not what we do now. We roll with the flow. If you're a Democrat, we roll with whatever the Democrat talking point of that year is. Remember, Joe Biden's Catholic. In his early career, he was pro-life all the way. So was Barack Obama and Michelle until they got ready to get into national politics. And then all of a sudden, we're pro-choice. Kill the baby. Kill the baby. It's okay. Even his church, Joe Biden's church, the church that he's gone to for years, they refuse to give him communion because the Catholic church believes heavily in the right to life. They believe that life begins at inception. Folks, politics is not what's good for just today. Politics is about what's right and what's best for the nation. You got that for free. So, what about what's going on with Joe Biden as, in regard to his son? Let me let me ask you this. Before we, we, We've got some sound I want you to hear. But regarding this thing, I have a son, Caleb Newman. Many people that are listening in know Caleb Newman. He's a great guy. He's now 40... 42 years old. He just turned 42. My goodness, it's hard to believe that my baby is 42 years old. And he's been through a lot. He's been through a a whole lot. Good things, bad things. He's on the good thing thing now. He's having a great life now, an executive chef in Dallas, great opportunities in his future. He's in a hospital chain working. He's an executive chef at one of their three hospitals in Dallas-Fort Worth. And they look at him as a rising star in their hospital chain. But let me say this about Caleb. Caleb and I are close. We haven't always been really, really close, but we're really, really close now. Joe always depicts his relationship with his son, Hunter, as they're being very, very close. I can't see a scenario in my family, in my life, where Caleb Newman would do anything, especially regarding a foreign 
government, stuff in a foreign land. I can't see him doing anything like that. And he's a brilliant, he is literally testing a genius. My son is. He's never had any business experience to speak of. Neither had Hunter. But I can't see my son going off and doing these things that Hunter Biden did, getting involved in all these relationships with these foreign governments and me not be part of that process. It just doesn't happen. Sons look to their fathers for guidance. And if you have a father that's in the U.S. Senate, I mean, that's a pretty powerful position, don't you think? That opens doors. As a matter of fact, uh, it probably opens doors overseas. (laughs) And we know it did. And we know it does. If your last name's Biden, people are going to listen to you, what you have to say. And so I'm saying this. As we get into the examinations and the exposure about everything to do with this Hunter Biden fiasco, it all points to one thing. And this is going to happen. More and more evidence is being unfolded now brought to the public purview that show there is a whole lot to this, and there has been for many, many years. As more and more of that happens, Joe's going to be implicated. The depth and the seriousness of the implication is that that's all that's left to be revealed. Will we ever know it all? I have no idea, but it's just beginning now. Even though we knew about it, almost two years ago, and it was reported on two years ago by some of the media, not the sycophants that are in the tank for everything and everybody that's a Democrat, but it's been out there. And don't think that just because the Democrats in the mainstream media haven't been talking about it, there haven't been people digging to get more and more information. So more and more is going to come to light over the upcoming, not months, folks, weeks. This is one of those fast-moving trains that you can't stop it. And if you get in front of it and try to, you're going to get smashed. So one of the people that is really into this is Miranda Devine of the New York Post. Yesterday, she got on that noonday show at Fox. It's not, yeah, I think it's outnumbered is the name of it. And they got together with some really salient points about what's going on. Uh, I'm going to play a soundbite flashback to President Biden on the campaign trail, and there's no better person to fact check him than our resident hunter expert. That would be Miranda. Let's roll the tape. I didn't write it, but I could have. Look, I I think that's every single solitary, serious investigator, including your network and others, have looked at this, have said there's absolutely zero basis to the accusation that I acted any way inappropriately or that my son did. There's not been a scintilla of evidence pointed out that anything is wrong. So <laughs> these so, guys are amazing. So you think that everything that happened was kosher? You know there's not one single bit of evidence, not one little tiny bit, to suggest anything done was wrong. Before the analysts start from the outnumbered staff analyzing this, there's not one single thing. Let me tell you this, that laptop hard drive contains videos, multiple videos, I mean dozens of videos of Hunter 
in various states of dress in hotel rooms with hookers doing all kinds of drugs. And there's even pictures of him with a partially clad young teenage girl. So there's no evidence that my son or I did anything? Does Joe think that, which he knew what was going on, he knew it was out there. There's nothing wrong with that. The outnumbered staff, they continue. Thou doth protest too much. Miranda, your thoughts? Well, I mean, look, that's just another extraordinary um, mistruth from uh, President Biden there. And he did that throughout the campaign. I mean, he pretended that he knew nothing about his son Hunter's overseas business dealings. And there is plenty of evidence on the laptop in Tony Bobolinsky's material and the material that Chuck uh, Grasley and Ron Johnson collected for their Senate investigation and are currently presenting to Congress, and I think they're going to be doing that on a regular basis, to show links between Hunter Biden and Communist China. And there is also evidence that Joe Biden financially benefited from Hunter Biden's grift and his brother Jim Biden's grift uh, with these countries, which are crucial to America's national security interests. And the lack of curiosity from most of the media is uh, repellent and really corrupt. But I think the dam is about to burst. We have Hunter Biden Mm. is uh, looking at indictments coming out of that grand jury in Delaware. And you see the New York Times and I believe the Washington Post are now sniffing around. They've admitted the laptop is real and they realize that this is a bombshell story. And the Wall Street Journal, Emily, reporting that this probe is advancing. They said that the grand jury that was mentioned by Miranda in Delaware heard testimony from witnesses. That's right, as well as their own investigation with additional witnesses. Um, It's important to state that what we don't know is how close they are to finishing. So we know it is progressive. We do not know if it's anywhere near the end or conclusion of the investigation. We do not know whether it will result in an indictment. What we do know is they are specifically looking into his tax consequences, his tax liability, criminal and civil, whether how he reclassified or classified his finances and also how he received money. Additionally, they are looking into his lobbying efforts and whether those comported with FARA, our federal act here, uh, that regulates whether you're a lobbyist. And sort of some complications in there just in the the eyes here, number one, we know that his well-documented drug and alcohol addiction and his complicated history has been sort of proffered as a potential defense for anything that might come forth. Secondly, he always seemed to insulate himself and use third parties in the lobbying realm, so there might be some type of of perceived or actual insulation there. But the bottom line is there is certainly not a scintilla of evidence. There's certainly not nothing. In fact, there's so much I can't get all into it in the 20 seconds I have left. So in stark contrast to what the president's saying, in stark contrast to what Hunter Biden has said, which is he's confident everything will be above board and there's nothing to see here, we actually have heard quite the opposite coming out. And a quick final point, the million dollars he has paid, we don't know what the entire liability was, and that is true, true, and unrelated from any actual liability. So whether I, I repay the government doesn't absolve me of my actual being on the hook for whether there was fraud or criminal element, and we don't know if that suffices or satiates the entire liability. An actual final point, he's also being investigated for that same shadiness with China. It's not just Ukraine. There's a whole lot here. There is a whole lot here, and it's going to continue, and it's going to get worse and worse. And part of it getting worse and worse is going to be because it was hidden for so long. 
Wednesday, two days ago, the Washington Post published two articles, and they claimed in the two articles they have authenticated thousands of emails found on the laptop. Of course, they're confirming this 17 months after a key email was verified by the Daily Caller News Foundation. The Post published a story Wednesday, the Washington Post, that details Hunter's financial ties to that Chinese energy company, CEFC, and used the emails found in the laptop as one of its sources for the investigation. They enlisted Johns Hopkins University security researcher and cryptographist Matthew Green, as well as Jake Williams, who is a forensics expert and former National Security Agency employee, that authenticated emails found on the laptop. They were able to verify 22,000 emails by matching their contents with cryptographic signatures in the metadata. The stories come roughly 17 months after it was proven the contents of the laptop could be authenticated by verifying an email from an account used by Burisma advisor Pozarski sent to Hunter Biden in which Pozarski thanked the president's son for, quote, inviting me to D.C., giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. That email was described by the New York Post almost two years ago as the smoking gun in their report detailing the ties between the Biden family and the Ukrainian gas giant Burisma. It's factual, folks. You need, to, you need to realize that. You need to accept it. People are saying, oh, no, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And the scariest thing about it, folks, is all of the, all of the evil that happens in politics, it's not sitting up there, one single event. It's not sitting up there in a vacuum. This is an environment, an environment in politics in Washington, D.C. Remember now, nobody's talking about this. You remember the Russia collusion story? Oh, uh, Donald Trump, he's a Russian spy. He is hooked into and is hand-in-hand with Vladimir Putin in Russia. And Vladimir Putin helped Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton in that 2016 election. And we have the Steele dossier that proves Donald Trump is all up into this stuff. He's involved in it. His entire campaign, everybody on his staff. You remember that whole charade? Nobody's talking about this part of that. Several days ago, the Clinton campaign, the Clinton Foundation, and Hillary Clinton personally settled a case with the United States Department of Justice because they paid for the production of the Steele dossier knowing it was false in the beginning And that impacted the results of an election. They paid a huge fine, multi-million dollar fine to, it wasn't the DOJ, it was the Federal Election Commission. Nobody talks about that. There is a whole atmosphere of nastiness, of lawlessness, of evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So don't think that the Hunter Biden thing is just a, 
a way out there one-off. This is something that has never happened before and it's never going to happen again. It's happening right now. Right now. And it's happening in dozens and dozens of circumstances. Maybe not this many zeros. Maybe not the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars as we're going to find out is involved in this. But it's still happening. And it always will in politics because there is very little accountability. When whatever entity you're involved in, that entity is solely the authority to make all the rules and to enforce anything on anybody that doesn't abide by the rules that you made up. And you have unilateral power to do that. By the way, you control your own incomes. That doesn't come from the business that you do. It comes from people that voted for you to go up there and work in these roles. You control all the money, all the money, all the money. You determine what your pay raises are going to be if and when you're going to get one. You determine what your expense accounts are going to include. You make all the rules on what is okay for you and your fellow compatriots in that institution to do and not to do. And then when somebody doesn't do them, you have the unilateral authority to just say, well, that's okay, just don't do it again. As long as that environment is there, this kind of crap is going to happen again and again and again. And every once in a while, somebody's going to be caught. Typically what happens though, when somebody's caught, what happens? When somebody in Congress gets popped for something like this, or on the order of this, but maybe not as serious, what happens? Nothing. Slap on the wrist. How much more of that is going to happen? And is there going to be a bunch more in the Biden scam? Yeah. There's a bunch happening. There's going to be a, much, a whole lot more. Let me, let me just give you a little tidbit on something that just broke moments ago. You remember the mainstream media, they've been touting this January 6th committee. This is the biggest boondoggle in my memory in politics, the January 6th thing. They are grasping for straws. It's exactly the same thing as the Russia collusion story. Now they've turned it into the January 6th insurrection and that it was instigated by Donald Trump. And they found a seven-hour gap in the White House switchboard logs on January 6th. What was Trump hiding that day? The news media, they have been breathlessly investigating for about a week now. We hear stories about it every day. You don't hear because I don't cover this stuff. Well, we found out just minutes ago the gap was likely the result of using ordinary landlines and cell phones. So documents that were turned over to this House Select Committee and then leaked in the media suggested there's a gap that could have been caused by Donald Trump or his aides. They're hiding it, kind of like Richard Nixon. A seven-hour gap in Trump's calls evokes a missing spot on Nixon's tape. That's from the Washington Post, breathlessly recalling the 18-minute gap in Richard Nixon's White House tapes that ultimately led him to resign his presidency in 1974 rather than being impeached. The Post left-wing opinion columnist, a guy named Greg Sargent, he suggested the absent Trump phone logs were worse than Watergate. 
Here's what he wrote. In another bid for the worst in Watergate files, it turns out there is a seven-hour gap in Donald Trump's phone logs on the day of the insurrection. According to documents obtained by The Post and CBS News, there is no record of then-President Trump's calls on January 6th from just after 11 a.m. to shortly before 7 p.m. That means there's a big black hole in the record when it comes to Trump's conversations throughout that period during which the mob assaulted the Capitol. Violence raged over several hours. The documents were turned over to the House Select Committee examining January 6th. They do show that Trump had made many calls before 11 a.m. and after 6 p.m. that were apparently related to the coup effort. That means Trump held many calls related to the insurrection between those two times that are not officially accounted for. So what happens then? Of course, speculation abounds. This guy, Sargent, he speculated that the reluctance of Trump aides to cooperate with this one-sided probe added fuel to the story. But it turns out, folks, to have been something of a hoax. Oh, no. (laughs) Donald Trump didn't do it? (laughs) Yesterday evening, CNN reported, citing a source inside the January 6th investigation, there were no missing pages in the switchboard logs and that there was a more likely innocent explanation for it. In its story on the phone logs, CNN, they use six reporters. So you know it's a big deal when they use six reporters for anything. Those reporters reported that the so-called gap was not, in fact, unusual. Here's what the story said. And you haven't read this unless you pay attention to CNN. And I I pray you don't. (laughs) The mystery of the seven-hour gap has fueled furious speculation as to why calls are missing. That includes allegations that Trump was using burner phones, which he has denied, or that the logs were purposely suppressed. But the gap might have a less mysterious explanation. According to multiple sources familiar with Trump's phone behavior and the White House switchboard records, the January 6th log reflects Trump's typical phone habits. He mainly placed calls through the switchboard when he was in the residence but he hardly ever used it when he was in the Oval Office. He was in the Oval Office all afternoon, we know that. So maybe he used his cell phone all afternoon, which is what he did all the time. That's me throwing that in. Continue with the story. The fact the log does not show calls on January 6th from the Oval Office is not unusual. Sources said because... Trump typically had staff either place calls directly for him on landlines or cell phones. Those calls would not be noted on the switchboard law. Of course, this is not going to go away, and you know why. They're going to keep digging. CNN also noted, citing a former aide to President Obama, Obama's calls were also frequently not in the record. So in spite of the post-suggestion that the gap was worse than Watergate, the story seems to have ended the same way other worse-than-Watergate hooks is about Trump like the Russia collusion conspiracy have ended by being debunked. You're not going to hear anything about that. 
pretty much any other place today. CNN may bring it up again, but I doubt it because it makes them look like they bought into still one more big lie. And this big lie, (laughs) it wasn't about Donald Trump and the insurrection on January 6th or that the November 3rd, 2020 election was fixed. It's about the January 6th insurrection and that Donald Trump probably wasn't involved in making all those moving parts work together to do it. You know, he, he's been accused of being the underlying cause of this entire thing. Conspiracy theories typically fall apart. And you know what makes them fall apart? It's when the truth comes out. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Holidays abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a year. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. (laughs) We've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. As much a part of your day as pants. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, if you haven't yet. Hello, hello. Oh, whoa, 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 I'm sorry about that. If you haven't yet, put your pants on. <laughs> yeah, make sure. That when you listen to TNN Live, you're wearing pants. I don't know where Pete Moss came up with that. Another CNN bombshell dropped this morning. It seems to happen to them a lot. They're in the midst of a sorry state of affairs. You look back at what they've been through. They lost their um, they lost their chief, Jeff Zucker, that had been there for a long time, actually created what's been called in media the Zucker regime. Well, it looks like, folks, and you may like this, it looks like the new regime that's there 
Discovery Channel, and their manager is going to be overseeing CNN. Shortly, it's going to happen. And it looks like they're going to go back to real news. Ooh, you may not remember this, but CNN was started in Atlanta. And it was a real, it was the very first cable news network. And they reported straight news for years and years and years before Zucker got there. And he decided, hey, we're going to, we're going to do news, but we're going to bend far left. And boy, have they been. So staffers at CNN, they're in the dark about what changes are going to happen. But the pair of leaders that are going to be there, CEO Discovery, David Zaslav, I guess Z-A-S-L-A-V, Zaslav, he's going to oversee the new Warner Brothers Discovery Channel, which is going to serve as CNN's parent company when the merger is complete coming up in the next few months. A longtime media industry exec who worked previously as a producer for CNN said that Fox Digital is doing really well. The damage Zucker did to the CNN brand is deep and permanent after the former executive pushed the once nonpartisan network to the left. So in an attempt to restore their credibility, this new guy coming in is expected to attempt to pivot back to straight news after Zucker allowed the network to take on a partisan liberal leftist approach and they've struggled to attract viewers during the Biden era. Well, they did the same thing during the Trump era and the Bush 43 era before that. On Tuesday, ratings for the first quarter of this year were released. CNN's most watched show was Anderson Cooper 360, which averaged 1 million nightly viewers to settle for number 22 among cable news programs. 1 million for a national cable news network television. That's the number one show. And that show finished behind 15 Fox News and even six MSNBC shows. Despite much of the final month of the quarter occurring as the network received a big boost as Anderson Cooper returned and reported from Ukraine. In addition to that, you may have heard CNN Plus, their new online Network launched this week, little fanfare, and it's already being nitpicked for relying on paid subscribers when the basic cable version of CNN has a hard time attracting an audience. How are they going to talk people into buying it? I just mentioned that to let you know. Americans, in large, we see this mess. We see this mainstream media chicanery that they pull every day, and people are just sick and tired of it. You're going to see as we watch this move in political registrations, voter registrations, we watch this move away from as independents, which it looks like more and more of the United States in the political affiliation are going away from the party, direct party affiliation, to the middle and are registering as independents. That is the vote, the independent vote. That's what determines the outcome of every election. As we see that happening and more people are getting in the middle, why are they doing that? It's because they're waking up and realizing we've been had. 
We've been getting principally far-left news that always comes with a partisan political perspective, and it's not news by the time we get it. And even if there are tidbits of truth in it, we have to scratch and claw to be able to dig them out of what we're seeing and listening to. I trust the American people. I don't trust mainstream media. Now, who's included in mainstream media? Well, the legacy media would every would be everybody that's not a cable network. And legacy news outlets would be ABC, CBS, and NBC. CNN has been around for the longest, so throw them in there. MSNBC, eh, I don't even think they tilt the level of uh, credibility at all because they, in my lifetime and being in media, they've really been outliers. They've really not been in the center of those things. But nevertheless, we've got print media out there, and the ones that have been in the tank, the obvious ones, New York Times, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, uh, Chicago Tribune, all the big newspapers, all the big radio news organizations, they've all been in the tank and still are, but they're getting exposed. How are they getting exposed? Because the truth is coming out and people are, are awakening and saying, you know what? This smells like a rat. Do a little investigating and find out it is. News just popped out moments ago. Several Republican lawmakers have sent more letters to the Biden administration and they're demanding records of any communication between Hunter and the White House. I hadn't thought about this. But there's probably communication there. Hunter Biden's connections throughout the Russian sphere of influence, this is in one of the letters, have now become especially relevant in the fast-moving and developing Russian war in Ukraine. They argued in the letter, if the Russian government is attempting to influence American policy in Ukraine by exploiting Hunter's connection with his father, the American people deserve to know it. The Republicans are seeking documents and communications between the White House and members or associates of the Biden family from January 20th, 2021 to now. They're also seeking a list of past and ongoing foreign business interests and past and ongoing foreign relations for members of the Biden family. That's out there. Now, is it going to go anywhere? Yeah, it'll go somewhere. Will it be reported on? I got to be honest with you, in my estimation, when I analyze what's happened so far and where we are, I personally think it's going to go far, and I think it's going to go all the way. Do I know that? How would I know that? No, it's just a gut feeling based totally on my recollections of how this has happened in the past. When any kind of episode or any kind of nastiness of somebody that's got a big name happens in Washington, D.C., it always begins this way allegations and their poop pod. No, it's, you know, you're, you're just making it up. It's a conspiracy uh, over and over and over again. Well, maybe, you know, this guy, he just made a mistake. And then it very seldom gets to the point where we're at in this Hunter Biden fiasco. There's too much out there that's already been proven to be true. Too much bad out there that has already been 
proven to be true for it to, in any way, just go away. It's not going to just go away. It's going to get worse and worse as more and more comes out on it. Oh, my gosh. We haven't even talked about our southern border, have we? Wednesday on Fox Business Network's Mornings with Maria, Senator Bill Haggerty, a Republican from Tennessee, he argued on the show that the Biden administration has directly created the greatest national security crisis we face as a nation. How did he do it? By collapsing our southern border with their immigration policies and that if Title 42 is rescinded, the result will be a massive new way of illegal immigrants coming across this border along with more fentanyl, more drugs, more human trafficking. Haggerty said the Biden administration has created the greatest national security crisis that we face as a nation. This is a tragedy. And today, if they allow Title 42 to expire, that means this onslaught is going to continue. We'll see a massive new wave of illegal immigrants coming across, more fentanyl, more drugs, more human trafficking. It's not going to get worse. It's going to get best, better, uh, worse. It's going to get worst if we just let this keep going. And in the middle of all of that, we still haven't got our supply chain straightened out. You remember Peter Navarro? You remember that name? Four years ago, he was an economic advisor to Donald Trump in the White House. And he, back then, four years ago, he wanted to talk to somebody... He wanted to discuss a report that he had initiated with the uncatchy title Assessing and Strengthening the Manufacturing and Defense Industrial Base and Supply Chain Resiliency of the U.S. Why in the heck somebody would name something that? I'll never figure out. But what it was, folks, four years ago, the Trump White House was looking for and was talking about and asking questions about how we could ensure our supply chain would be solid and as our distribution process and demand for shipping of items from around the United States and from around the world went up as we began to continue to grow, how we could ascertain and make certain that we would not be in a situation like we're in right now. And Navarro called this report a what-if report. What if this happens? What if we don't make these changes? The initial reaction to Navarro was that it's a joke. Navarro was in essence arguing government and companies had to realize the risk of using non-American supply chains and rapidly coordinate to create domestic alternatives. But this type of government meddling with its anti-globalization stance, it didn't seem like much of anything on Wall Street. No longer, folks. Last week, Larry Fink, he's the head of BlackRock. We talked to you earlier and told you BlackRock is the biggest country uh, company on the planet by far it's a globalist it, uh, it's involved in everything it uh, you know it's not 
hey, these huge companies are owned by a bunch of stock purchasing consumers. There's no question publicly traded companies, their stock's owned by numerous people. BlackRock buys up huge percentages and usually controlling interest in companies. They're all over the place. Larry Fink, the head of this BlackRock, warned that the Russian invasion of Ukraine has put an end to the globalization we've experienced over the last three decades. Think about that. This week, the White House invoked Korean War-era powers to boost supplies of battery minerals like lithium, nickel, and cobalt. Meanwhile, Intel, the U.S. chip group, is touting plans to boost production in Germany and in Ohio. Whether or not you like Navarro's creed, those ideas are now resurfacing in the Biden administration, and it's resurfacing with a vengeance. So what does this mean if you're going to invest? Well, judging from recent conversations, there are at least three practical implications. First is that a radical what-if mindset is reshaping the scenario planning around supply chains. This doesn't mean that companies are reshoring all production. Fink's prediction about the end of globalization still seems a bit overblown, but boards of companies are now looking at once unimaginable tail risk and repositioning. And then there are computer chips. You know, they're involved in everything. Everything we use that has any kind of electricity required to it, it's got a computer chip somewhere. Follow technology and follow the money. There is so much in this supply chain thing that is being overlooked. And folks, what we've seen happen and we're not out of yet, what we've seen happen there, it's not getting any better. In fact, if anything, it's getting worse and they're hiding it from us. As this Ukrainian thing continues to grow and this war continues to happen over there, we've talked about this. We're going to have massive shortage of food over here, much of it due in part to the shortage of the goods and services that are provided in Russia and Ukraine. Things like wheat, biggest wheat production on the planet. Wheat's in everything, folks. You like bread? You better think about finding alternative sources for bread. Not wheat producers. People are going to have to get really creative. And speaking of getting creative, late yesterday, the White House released a Joe Biden video. And in the video, the president encouraged millions of insecure and vulnerable teenagers to embrace the, what he called, an elite claim that they can transform into a popular transgender person of the opposite sex. I'm not joking, folks. Here's what he said. I want you to know that your president sees you. Joe, Kamala, Doug, our entire administration sees you for who you are, deserving of dignity, respect, and support. But we know it's hard when there are those out there who don't see you, don't respect you. To parents of transgender children, affirming your child's claimed transgender identity 
is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep them safe and healthy. His video was posted on the White House's Transgender Day of Visibility PR event. This threat to children, the claimed threat he mentioned, was underlined in this presentation by Amy Schneider. Remember Amy? Amy is a man, was a man, whatever you want to be. You take it and make it yourself. Decorated his claim to be a woman by wearing a pink suit during his same-day visit to the White House. In a meeting with White House reporters, Snyder denounced the popular child protection laws that are now being passed by GOP legislatures, saying this about those laws. They're really scary, and some of them in particular, he said, or she said, that are denying medical services to trans youth. Those are life-saving medical treatments. Those bills will cause the death of children, and that's really sad to me. That's really frightening. A Gallup poll in February said less than 1% of Americans declare themselves to be transgender. Just 1.5% say they are gay. 1% say lesbian. 4% declare themselves to be bisexual. Numerous polls show Biden's transgender pitch is very unpopular, especially when aimed at kids. On an example, March 23-24, a Harvard poll showed that only 33% of 2,000 registered voters think that information about sexuality should be taught in schools at kindergarten through third grade levels. You got that number? 67% say the topic should be left to parents. Also, many of the young people who claim to be trans detransition from their claims but the reversal often comes after they suffer voice-changing, debilitating, and sterilizing transgender treatments. In the last two years, a couple of European countries have reversed the legality of transgender treatments, usually after the discovery of much harm to teenagers and young adults. Ironically, Biden's White House Day of Transgender Visibility speech was scheduled for the same day as a White House roundtable on mental health with young women and girl leaders. The White House message to the media after the March 31 event said this, with studies continuing to highlight the toll that the COVID-19 pandemic has taken on youth's mental health, participants shared their experience and their insight into the unique mental health challenges that women and girls face. The young women leaders also shared policy recommendations for strengthening mental health for girls, including the need to meet girls where they are. Biden said this, I was raised to believe that one of the greatest sins is the abuse of power, and there was no greater abuse of power than the abuse of a child. Folks, let me just say this before we go to break. Let me just say this. This is a problem. I don't think it would be as big a problem, nearly as big a problem, if mainstream media on the far left have not taken this and weaponized it to use, not for the betterment of these kids and young, young people, but to use against their political opponents. They've taken this whole transgender 
even the entire LGBTQ issues, and they've used it as a weapon against their political opponents. Not for the betterment of the people that they're talking about, but the whole purpose is to get more people involved and more people to make the transition. And there is no transition. There's no such thing as transgenderism. Biologically, there is no such thing as transgenderism. It should stop right there. If you use that same logic that a person can literally change their sex, then you got to believe if my dog one day wakes up and decides he wants to be a pig, he's going to start oinking, and that means he's a pig. That's the stupidest thing probably you've ever heard here at TNN Live. But it's not any more stupid than believing transgenderism is a reality. It's not. It does a lot. But what it does is not good. And the young people, both sexes, male, female, the pain, the agony that end up happening sometimes during, but definitely at the end of it all. It just makes it unbelievable. Can you imagine being at the end of that whole process and you realize all of a sudden, this was bad. I shouldn't have gone down this road. It's too late. And we don't need adults, other adults weighing in on this. This is a mom and dad thing. Moms and dads, get in your kids' faces and talk about this. Get the facts in them. They need it. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. You love chocolate. Mm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the one we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> Another great song from the 70s. 
Hey, listen, did you hear what came out of Arizona yesterday? The governor signed into law a bill that aims to strengthen election integrity. New requirements to ensure this. Drum roll. Only U.S. citizens vote in elections held in Arizona. It's, it's House Bill 2492, and it requires voters in Arizona to give proof of citizenship and residency to be eligible to vote. Under the new law, if county recorders are found to have knowingly accepted a voter registration that doesn't have enough proof of citizenship, they face a Class 6 felony. Election integrity means counting every lawful vote, prohibiting any attempt to illegally cast a vote. That's Governor Doug Ducey. He said the bill is balanced approach that honors Arizona's history of making voting accessible without sacrificing security in our elections. In Arizona, the Republican Party controls the governorship, both chambers of the legislature. The bill passed the legislature on the 23rd. Ducey signed it into law yesterday. A Democrat who was running for governor of Arizona named Hobbs told Ducey to veto the bill after lawmakers passed it. She said on Twitter that the GOP-backed bill creates new unnecessary barriers for people registering to vote. When I hear this, it just it makes me want to scream. Stacey Abrams preaching this thing. Voter ID is evil. It's racist. It's evil. People of color can't get voter ID. And yet at the same time, if you want to go to any one of her meetings, she's involved with the DNC headquarters. You got to provide a voter ID, a picture voter ID. When you go to rent a car, you got to provide an ID. If you want to make a wire transfer at your bank, you've got to have a voter ID. By the way, you have to have a voter ID to get a bank account. This stuff is insane to me. I just can't imagine why people would hold on. African-American people, 70% of African-Americans believe that voter ID should be required for someone to vote in any election in the United States. Way to go, Arizona. We support you there, and we're glad you did that. Well, I hate to tell you this, but news has come out we're losing one of the greats in American politics. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she's leaving the White House in May. And guess where she's going? She's going somewhere on television, and she's going there to die, at least professionally. She's going to NBC's Peacock streaming platform. Axios reported the news, citing a source close to the matter. In other words, Jen Psaki leaked it to NBC. Biden's press secretary is going to be the host of a show for MSNBC on NBC Universal's streaming platform, not the broadcast platform. She's on leave after her second case of coronavirus. She's going to leave around May. She worked previously as a political pundit on CNN before she went to the White House. I don't know if you knew that. And she's also going to participate in that capacity at MSNBC and NBC. Her choice to go there 
takes place just a month after she mocked cable news in an interview with actor Rob Lowe on his podcast. Here's what she said. Cable news is dying, right? The ratings for it are dwindling, right? She noted, speaking of the challenges of the changing news environment. In February, Saki was asked about reports that she was in talks with both CNN and MSNBC for a job. She said, quote, I have more than enough on my plate here, and so you can't get rid of me, she said, quite yet. Huh. You know what we haven't talked about lately because there's been nothing really to talk about? Our global pandemic, COVID-19. Well, one reason for that is people just got sick of it because the information that was being given day after day after day, the instructions, the scare tactics, it just wore thin. Yesterday on C-SPAN, Representative Dina Titus, who's a Democrat from Nevada, responded to a question on whether right now is a good time for the CDC to look at rescinding that Title 42. That's the uh, document that allows the federal government immigration to turn immigrants that come to the U.S. around because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the question was asked her what she thought about the pending rescinding of Title 42 by the CDC, stating that she hadn't been very pleased with the CDC for the entire duration of the pandemic, arguing they lack credibility due to the constant changes in their stances on things like vaccines and masks, and stating that there has not been a very clear-cut message or overall policy coming out of the CDC. So the host of the show, John McArdle, asked, on the border is now a good time for the CDC to consider lifting Title 42. She responded, well, I have mixed feelings about the CDC. I've not been too happy with them throughout this entire crisis. They don't lack, I mean, they do lack credibility. One minute you need a shot, the next minute you don't need a booster. It's for children, it's not. You need a mask, you don't. I realize that the pandemic changes and the virus morphs into different things, but it's not been a very clear-cut message or overall policy coming out of the CDC. She's not alone in that regard. We feel that here at TNN Live. We've expressed it for a long time. How can you trust the information that you get from an institution that is such a big part of our government? They control the entire healthcare system in the United States. Now, they, they collude with people like the FDA from time to time, but nevertheless, they are the ones that should be the ones that should be giving us good, solid information about everything we should do, everything we shouldn't do, what's good for us medically, what's bad for, for us medically, and they just don't do it. Everything seems to be a political narrative that comes out of the CDC. No different than a lot of uh, what we get out of these political parties, even from the right. It's not just the lefties that are out that are misguiding us here in the American public. What else is going on? Got to remind you, weekend coming up Saturday, 
Saturday always means you'll get the Truth News Network bullet points for the weekend. What are the bullet points? Well, if you've been here, you know. There'll be a list of probably 10 to 15 stories in their coming bullet point format. We just give you a couple of sentences about the big events of the week that you may have missed. If you missed any of them, there's a blue arrow, a link at the end of the two or three sentence explanation about a story. If you want more story, you just click on that arrow and it takes you right to a full story. If not, you just scroll down to the next bullet point and do it again. It's a great way to start your Saturday. In fact, I'll be honest with you, week after week, month after month, our bullet point offerings are the biggest, most read offerings here at Truth News Network, and it carries over on Sunday. It's amazing. Tens of thousands of people log on to read the bullet points that they missed the previous day because they've become such a big part of people's life. It's a good way to catch up. And then, of course, we'll be back on Monday with our regular shows. Don't forget, in the meantime, if you missed any of our podcasts, you can easily get them after the fact. Almost minutes after our show completes every day, the show that day is posted on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn Podcast. Have you heard about TuneIn? Yeah, they've been around a while. Google Podcast of all places, Stitcher, and Facebook, believe it or not. Get a podcast, a conservative podcast from Facebook. Hey, you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy it. Thank you so much for being part of this family. We'll see you Monday. Until then, be well and enjoy yourself. Have a great time.